0: What do you think yeah. would surprise your grandfather if you could have a look at it, you know, what the vineyard is today? It'd be the varietal mix or how you manage it or what would what would surprise him most?
1: Dad's still pruning at eighty? That would probably surprise <laughs> him. But <coughs> grandpa, it'd probably be some of the ground that you know, there was ground there that we never planted. You can't plant grapes on there. Yeah. And now we've got grapes on there. You know, you go you this you didn't go past this, you know because it won't grow because of this or this. Today our guess the brother and sister duo Brad Case and Nicole Clark from
0: Langhorne Creek. Brad and Nicole are fifth generation vineyards but also have plenty of other things going on including a vineyard contracting business, their Kim Bolton Wines wine label, and an incredible cellar door with one of the best views in the state. Brad and Nicole shared some great insight on how they're managing the family business without killing each other not always easy, and how they started their relationship with the Montepulciano variety that they both love. You'll find all their details, including how to get your hands on some of that Monty in the show notes.
2: Welcome to Healthy Minds, Healthy Vines, the wellbeing podcast for growers, proudly brought to you by the Wine Grape Council of South Australia, sponsored by PERSA hosted by journalist and award-winning
0: mental health podcaster Callum McPherson and columnist for The Australian and The World of Fine Wine and Australia's leading wine writer when sold by The Kilo, Nick Ryan. Let's crush this. So you got quite the family history at Langhorn Creek. Where did it all
2: begin?
3: Where did it all begin? We are fifth generation. So from my grandmother's side, so Frank Potts the first uh, started Bleasdale. My great, who was my great great grandfather? My great grandfather was Frank Potts the second. Then there was my nana, uh, Thelma. Uh, she married my grandfather Henry Case and. They ended up purchasing part of the Dale estate back in uh, the mid-40s. So my brother and I, Brad, we are now fifth generation. It was passed on to my father and now we are running the family business.
2: And what sets Langhorn Creek apart from everywhere else in the world in your view?
1: It's a unique town in the sense that it can't really expand a lot because we have floods down there. So there's not a lot of area for Langhorn Creek to expand. So it's very tightly held, especially the original floodplain country which was probably in the vicinity of about four to 500 hectares before, obviously, pipelines came in and, and the boom happened and now there's areas that only ever grew crops and now got vineyards all over them. But, yeah, it's, it's quite a, a family-run, like um, we joke about it, but then there's the Potts, the cleggots, the Follets, you know, quite a lineage of, of history and a lot of them are related. Like many other grape-growing regions, you know, we we do some things, you know, amazingly well, some things, you know, just okay, but... Yeah, I think it's quite a tightly held area of, um, of a lot of families with a long lineage of, of history there. I reckon there's probably a lot of people out there
0: listening to this now from other regions that would be kind of fascinated about the floodplains of Langhorne Creek and, and the way that works in terms of management of those vineyards.
1: Just want to give everyone a little sort of floodplain vineyard management 101. <laughs> The Bremer River, obviously, the more rain, we, we don't get a lot of high rainfall in Langon Creek, so generally it's when we, when it rains in the Bremer catchment area, and obviously that's up at Mount Barker, and, and we've seen a lot of changes in that over the years due to obviously a lot more dams going in, so that's restricted water, so flooding has become less. But at the same time, it's now probably becoming, uh, it's changed again since all the developments happening in Mount Barker. There's water's running off, you know, instead of soaking into you know, yeah. hillside and everything, it's running off quicker. And so all that um, good soil and, and nutrients ends up in the Bremer River and runs down and, and the creek gets smaller as it gets down towards Lake Alexandrina and obviously as it gets smaller, you know, so the larger flows means it floods and so it pushes back out on the northern side of the township. And depending on how big the flood is, you know, it, the traditional floodplain a uh, uh, alluvial, deep, rich soils, which all the vines are planted on. That's how they lived. So it sort of starts up. I suppose as far as sort of Dick Cleggett's um, or Mark Cleggett's Glen Aval up there and then spreads out and and, and it and expands out and in in real big floods, you know, you see one in a hundred sort of year flood. But yeah, and it obviously goes out to the vineyard and it sits there and, and if you drive through the creek and think, Oh, what's that bank for? Or why is that bank high there and low there, it's where the water sits and that creates um well that was the form of water back in the days and that was the only water it got was from the from the Bremer River underground water, there was a bit, but not the greatest of quality. But now we get water, obviously, out of Lake Alexandrina, and even to the point we got a pipeline over to Jervois for the area now, which not only feeds Lound Creek, but even goes down as far as Finness and Currency Creek.
0: It so. is amazing that a lot of that banking and stuff that's been there for a long time, yeah, you know, still works when it when it needs oh, to. As, you know, I think those I old think what's guys.
3: also unique about Lound Creek is that you know there's basically three three sources of water that we can access. One is your natural flooding where you can't stop it whether you want to or not. Yep. You know, we do have the right to take water out of the Bremer River. So this, you know, Bleasdale can put in the weir, you know, the Follett. or so the Wenzel families quite often, you know, we always talk about the two sides to the river. They sort of have a lower side so they're able to access water where, you know, we're more in the township. We, we sometimes, you know, you need a real full creek for us to be able to access water ourselves. So, you know, we do have the flood boards, you know, we can pull the boards out of the creek and fill the vineyard up, we can hold it and then we can actually, you know, release it from our vineyard and send it onto the neighbour. So it, it, it's a quite a unique irrigation system. But I think what happened was in the early 90s, you know, we got access to the River Murray um, system and, and that was initially via Lake Alexandrina. So that you know, saw the region grow from 400 hectares to around 6,000 hectares in about a five, six-year period. Yeah. So that's really what put langhorn Creek, I suppose, on the map from the point that we just grew so quickly. And we've basically been drought, drought-proofed by having access to that water. So, yeah,
0: and you would, would be in a pretty different position now without that if you were relying still on traditional flows, like you're saying. Yeah, you know, with Mount Barker and the fastest, you know, urban development in the state, which is a little way away but it has massive impact on, you know, what happens in Langhorn Creek and then and you'd be in a position that you can't really influence a lot of that.
3: No, no, and there would have been quite a number of years if we didn't have access to, you know, the River Murray system, you know, Langhorn Creek sort of through those mid well, you know, late 90s to, you know, mid-2000s, um, you know, the floodplain really did suffer. We yep. did, you know, we saw those old vines, you know, their root zone is so far down and so far to, so far across rows, while she can drip irrigate, they still do love a flood, which sometimes can be quite challenging, you know. You can look at floods both ways. It can have a negative aspect because you don't have control over canopy and, you know, but those old girls, they, I, I call them girls, <laughs> <laughs> They, you know, you almost have to sacrifice the season almost, you know, if you do have that flooding because, you know, you you, you tend to lose your your ability for the quality, you lose control over your canopy and, and you know, the tons that you grow because of the fact nuts. that, yeah, they love it. They just, ooh, it's party time. So And well, I think this, different this, growers have taken, yeah, different but I mean, directions. Even on
1: our own property, we've got, we got blocks that water sits in um, and we've got blocks that the water, so when it floods, you'll get a foot of water over the whole lot sinks in and that you know doesn't get the soaking that say where the water ends up sitting and you held it and you, and you know I'm, I'm a big believer that the blocks that have a flood water over them really don't perform into 18 months time right you know they've got really good water's there maybe in the first season you get bigger berries and you know a bit more vigor and maybe there's a bit of risk and it depends on the season if you end up with a hot season august september flood you know on you know a couple of our blocks you know really you know gives serious good quality for the next two or three years you know and that's where we get some of our best fruit from yep. to be honest so They're actually welcoming the floods yeah I mean yeah definitely I mean it's back in the day and I flood time it was you know kids were in boats and canoes going up the main street along creek it's sort of quite a um a unique place um to come when it is flooded or be you know be careful because there's a few points that if you go through in a car you won't get out you know, in '92, I think a, I think a fire truck disappeared. You know, in the real big floods of '92, sort of went and drove an aisle, and that was the end of it. Dad drove. He was the last one in in the '92 floods. Dad, him and I were away in Melbourne, and he's mum, mum rang up and said it's still raining, Len, and he's like, geez, don't careful, we'll get a flood here. And I think it was like the 12th of December or something stupid. So anyway, I'll mum, mum rang dad and said you need to get back. So dad jumped on a plane, came back, and and um. Our cousin went and picked him up in our tractor and um, he went through the flood water and it was about six inches below the cab and he said, geez, Len, it's nearly in the, you know, it's, it's just below the cab and by the time he picked him up, this is up near where Bremerton are on the on the Strathflown yeah. Creek Road and by the time he came back in, it was coming in the cab, that's how quickly it was rising. So, and that, you know, that's probably one and a half metres there. So we are, you know, once those floods happen, we can be really isolated, you know, in terms of getting in and out of the area.
2: Nick, what's been the family philosophy?
3: Um, I think the fact it is family. Um, so you know, both my brother and I like we love what I, what we do. We work hard and hate it. <laughs> the love hate relationship. We work hard. We work long days. But I think it's you know, um, our parents have passed on. You know, and our grandparents passed on to my parents and you know, a great business. But I think we've all had to leave our mark. Um, it's interesting, you know, I think when Dad took over from grandpa the the, the property was only twenty hectares, roughly.
1: Twenty four hectares. It 24? was even smaller than that. It yeah. was we had, you know, Dorodillas and Palomino yeah. and yeah. Grenache mm-hmm. and Mataro and oh some really old vines. Yeah, um but all fortified material. Yes. And, yeah, all yeah. massive croppers. You know, we were shifting stuff with sprinklers like that back then it was like you you, you sprinkled in winter that was because we didn't have drip irrigation and saying that you know dad was uh and grandpa they were the first people to put drip irrigation in Loun Creek and you know people there I won't mention names you know going oh you're mad what are you doing that for well there's not a vineyard that goes in now without you know drip irrigation that's yep. that's the livelihood but yeah I mean that's uh
3: yeah so sort of dad made his mark you know when he sort of took over and he's, he's expanded on, oh, obviously with our help, like Brad and I've, well, Brad's pretty much came home after school. Um, you know, he was a runner and had a few years of spending time, you know, concentrating on his, eth- on his athletics, um, and went away for the world juniors and, and bits and pieces, but he would come home when he was needed to help out in the vineyard. And I think with our help, we've all, you know, they grew the vineyard, um, to 55 hectares of what it is today. Brad's been quite instrumental in the fact of, you know, bringing in those alternate varieties. You know, we were one of the first few in Australia back in 06 to to graft some Monty over in Langhong Creek, which has done really well for us. And now, you know, we're looking, you know, we've put in the, we've opened up the cellar door and we're, you know, expanding our, Wine range, so I think you know the family philosophy is we all want to leave our mark, yeah. Um, but it it's be always about family. building on
0: the shoulders of giants, yeah. What do you yeah. think would surprise your grandfather if he could have a look at it? You know, what the vineyard is today To be the varietal mix, or how you manage it, or what would what would surprise him most?
1: Dad's still pruning at 80, that would probably surprise him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's done his like you said, he's done his 65 years of pruning, mm. so I mean. You know, you're lucky to get an Aussie that wants to come out and prune a vine. You know, that that just shows you where the whole industry's changed. You know, Dad, you start pruning on the 1st of June and they'd finish in August. And, you know, he used to lay there with his hand hanging out the side of the bed because it ached all night, you know, with the hand snips. And now, you know, unless they've got um, electric snips, they won't even rock up. And so it really is a changing sort of thing. But look, I think um, for Grandpa, it'd probably be some of the ground that, you know, there's ground there that we never planted. You can't plant grapes on there. Yeah. And now we've got grapes on there. You know, you go, you this, you didn't go past this, you know, because it won't grow because of this or this. But now with nutrition and and modern advances in technology and water uh, usage and and not only that monitoring and control, those you know, barriers think,
2: that used to be there. Yeah, well, I mean, once
1: upon a time, yeah, you, know, you can't pump out of the ground and get water up there. It's too salty. Whereas now you're putting on great water, you know, with really good quality. You know, with a pump that we don't even own. It's in the in the pipeline for the whole area. That's pushing water where we yeah. need it to go. Pretty. I mean, I think those sorts of things are pretty amazing that as a, as a region you all sit down and get together and, and that's one of the great things about Lowland Creek, you know, when the whole region went, you know, we're not just on our own, we're as a group, you know, it does come together and go, right, we need a community pipeline and, and you know, to the point that, you know, one family missed out because they forgot to put in for it and they're like, well, you can't get in, it's just, it's, yeah, and then I my mean, Dad was one and I can't remember, there's a couple others that all went, well, look, we'll give 10, 15% back because we probably put in more than we needed to let that other family get, you know, and, and, you know, that meant that another, you know, family in the region now gets the same benefits that we get. So they had to pay for it. We didn't pay for it for them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What was the uh, expectation growing up in terms of who was going to take over
1: in the end? Well, mum and dad's expectations were, obviously I was coming home, which, you know, that's quite traditional as a, you know, in a small family, which I, I probably got home and I still remember, you know, going home, finished school, year 12, came back on Sunday, and then dad was in there at 7 a.m. going, you got 29 minutes to be out at, at work. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, it this is. Now. Um, so now. <laughs> this get, is the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, they say year 12, get you ready for the rest of your life, but, you know, I wish it was, you know, yeah, I could start at nine, finish at quarter past three, and have, uh, mm. you know, an hour lunch and three was an hour recess and spend. Six hours with my mates. Yeah, no gap it years for you. No, there wasn't. So, and and it took me, you know, I probably got to 19, and then one day dad came out. And said, what are you doing? I said I'm going to live in town. I said what? I said I. Oh. So I packed my car and chucked all my stuff in there and said I'm. Um, you know, we had someone working with us, and I said I oh, I just need to get away and spread my wings. And so you know, I did athletics and went down to town. And mum and dad supported me. You know, I'd come home at key times and help and and you know with harvest and all that sort of stuff. I love. The harvest is great. You know, it's it's the fruits of twelve months of hard work. But I went down there and worked retail at a place called Rowan Jarman. For anyone old enough oh, yeah. to remember that, yeah. um, <laughs> did my dues there, and um, that was the greatest thing I ever did because I learnt to work with people. And you know, work, you know, there's different types of people out there, and you know, you're sort of working for someone else, and and it really allowed me, I of to grow as someone who now has their own business to go, I remember what I didn't like about working for someone and what they did, so I'd sort of try and make sure that I don't do what they did, you know, which um, I think does help me with, you know, employing people. and. What made you decide to go back? Well, what happened is I did athletics and then, you know, like playing footy where you can earn 300 grand a year. and With an individual sport like I did, you know, I worked out the harder I put in, the better my results. So, look, I, I went down there and I went, well, I'm not going to make living, I'm not going to retire out of this, you know, um, you might go to a Commonwealth Games or an Olympics, which is great. But, you know, when you're 30 and you want to have kids, you need a house. You know, so I, the reality came that I need to earn some money more than I was doing. So with everyone planting grapes, I sort of went, I'm going to buy a grape mm-hmm. harvester. And then so I bought a grape harvester mm-hmm. and went back and, you know, started doing harvesting. I mean, that was because we run a side business as well, which is a contracting company. Look, that's been something that I've put a lot of time and effort into and because our, our, our vineyard back then was, it would have bored me to tears just being there every day. Like It's like you can't, you know, I've got to be someone that's doing something yeah. or thinking about something. So I, you know, came back and started harvesting and had a contracting business with a mate and then we sort of went our separate ways in 2005 and since then we've sort of ran our own bread case contracting, which... Pretty unique name, I know. But um yeah. how'd you come up with that? Yeah, it was sort of funny. You know, when I put my name on I thought everyone will use it because of me mm. and and know what I'm like, but also has my regrets with that now because then everyone goes, Oh well, you're Brad and you know, they so they want you there and and you know, the business has grown now that it's not just about me. I mean I'm running the business but it could run without me now, you know, we've got some really key guys in there. So yeah,
0: but no one expects John Deere to turn up on the track. There, so. <laughs> no, no,
1: no. No. Yeah. But yeah, so that's what made me come back. I thought there's an opportunity here and, and I had driven grape harvesters for the O'Connor's in the early days and loved it when I was at school. You know, I'd come home and, you know, as soon as I get home from school, I'd chuck my gear on and straight out on the back of a grape harvester with a bloke called Kevin Driver who now comes and helps us with vintage. And, you know, that was, it's going back some 30 years now. It's sort of funny how it all turns.
0: Full circle. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Nicole, you're in finance. You should know better. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I had
3: a baby and I didn't want to go back to work yeah so I think for me um, as Brad said you know it was always expected he would come home on the farm but I think I was supposed to find my Prince Charming get on that white horse and ride right someone else's problem right away and basically provide the grandchildren yeah as I said I had a baby but around that time um, the GST was brought in and you know the old shoebox accounting system didn't work anymore um, so mum you know, things got a little bit trickier, I suppose. So, having an accounting system online, and so I sort of started um, getting involved in that way. And then we sort of started looking at sustainable viticulture and entwine and all of those types of things. So, yeah, Dad and Brad didn't really want to do the, the the admin side of it as much as we, you know, we were doing the. They were doing all the hard work in the vineyards. I was sort of doing more the admin side of things. So, yeah, I became involved, and yeah. I've always been a very family-orientated person. So, yeah, I loved working in the business and that's, that, that's how it sort of
0: started. side of, you know, viticulture and running vineyards become more onerous over time, sort of the back office?
3: 100%. Stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We are the gatekeeper for the ATO, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, from from the financial side of things. But I think now, you know, once upon a time I look at what mum and dad did and, you know, Dad was always forward thinking, as Brad said, you know, um, he and Grandpa were the first people to put in, um, you know, drip irrigation. You know, Dad, once upon a time, was the only person in Lown Creek that owned a spray cart. You know, Mum talked about Christmases, Christmas Day, he just sprayed all, you know, all all, all the time, like back in the 70s, like he lost his, his smell and taste due to the fact that, you know, there was no such things as lovely no. cabs on tractors. And, you know, so Dad's always been very forward in, in his viticultural practices, but you, there's farming and now there's there's farming you know you actually have to be more business inclined i believe you know it's it's becoming yeah i'm totally going to
0: get more that way
3: oh, precision viticulture is incredible you know you need to be able to understand you know where your end product is going you know what are the inputs that you need to to be able to get it there it's not just a matter of letting the vine now produce what it produces, um, you know, and yeah, you'd have some, some good good years and some not so good years, whereas, you know, the inputs now are just, yeah, incredible. Does so. the
0: industry do enough to support growers with that and then, and, and, you know, give them the resources they need to be able to manage that sort of workload? I
3: think there's the information's out there. It's knowing where to access it and how to access it. But it's also hard. It's it's depending on, you know, I think our family's really lucky. There's Brad and I, you know, I've just turned 50. You know, he's in his late 40s. You know, we're involved in the family businesses. Like I look, there's, you know, there's a lot of growers in, in other regions and in Lanclon Creek that, you know, sort of in their 60s, you know, are their children going to come home? What's, you know, how's that looking for them? Like, no, you the know. Children
1: don't want to come home. Yeah. yeah. They don't want them to sell it. Because they want that asset. If I'm yeah. honest, they want an asset. Like, like hey, my Dad's sitting on a you know, million dollar vineyard. Dad's out there doing the work. And th- there was a few. Th- that has changed. Look, some of those guys have moved on now. You know, a few sold eight years ago, probably when they shouldn't have. If you had sold three years ago, you would have been getting 50% more for your property. Now, we're back into this lull again. The industry's hard because we can't. You know everyone talks about you've got to be you know about to adapt to change and all that but it is i mean you can't go Oh, I've growing cabernet this year and now next year i'm going to grow riesling or you know it really is and the industry you know i put it back and go yeah you, know, you look at the the old world you know and, and we'll go we'll go to france you know they grow there's regions that grow Pinot, there's regions that go chardonnay champagne you know they do it really well whereas here you know where the big corporate's going out there mate just plant 50 hectares of chardonnay and reason, when people put Riesling in Lown Creek, I remember Dad laughing, going, idiots, you know, why would you be doing that? Nah, that's what, you know, I think it was Perno, one of the heap of Riesling and everything. Now, they've still got some Riesling and it grows some good Riesling, but it gets disease, it gets sunburn, you know, and it's a challenge. Whereas when you're growing your own fruit for your own product, you go, well, we'll rip it off a bit earlier, it doesn't matter, we can deal with it. Whereas when you're a grower, you scrutinize totally differently. Nah, it's not quite right. Nah, we don't want it or. Uh, anyway, I don't think there's too much Riesling left in Lowell Creek now, but there was probably a good couple of hundred hectares put in. We can't adapt to change. You know, you can't go from growing a wheat crop to canola in 12 months. That's what we can't do. And there's a lot of infrastructure put in. And the cost to put in a new vineyard now would be somewhere in the vicinity of, you know, sixty dollars to $100,000, depending on where you are and what infrastructure you've got. It's just, you're not getting the returns anymore. Once yeah. upon a time you had, you know, in one or 10 years, you'd have five average years. Two really bad ones, you know, a good one and two really good ones, you had money in the bank, whereas things are pretty tough now. For gr- and, and if you're just a grower and you're a small grower, it's even harder because, you know, like I said, Nicole can do the book stuff in the back house, but we've also got the cellar door, so she's in there doing yeah. the cellar door stuff in the background. She's doing the vineyard stuff. My wife, she does all the book work for the contracting side because that is next level again. Like, Different. There's but, so much work you don't see other yeah, correct. than just the
2: stuff that's from
1: the yep. house. Yeah. Um, so you've got, you know, Anna's there doing accounts and pays. And and because the way we work it, all the staff for the vineyard come through my business. And so that's one less issue we have of paying staff and all that. But you've got the cellar door. So we're big enough, as I said, to have, you know, we've got the three different hats. We're a producer. We're also, you know, an end sales point, you know, for wine with the cellar door. And we're a contracting company, albeit different. So, you know, whereas if you're just a grower, it should' would be pretty tough. Or yeah. well, it is pretty tough. I shouldn't say it should be. You know, we, we see it. I mean, great rewards when it does well. But, you know, we, we, we're going to see some hard times, I think, in the next couple of years. And, um, you know, it's funny how two years ago we had wineries down there going, mate, you know, Need your fruit, and you know what can you give us, and you know I remember when I helped you out, and you know and, and uh, you know a lot of people went all right, you know you support I'll give you that and sell them, and but you got to take my chardonnay if you want my and that was all good. Now it's like well we want your chardonnay, we don't want your shiraz, yeah. and you say it all more. What about like oh mate, it's just the way it is, and and to the point that.
0: There's it's some, China, it's COVID, it's Ukraine. There's always... The you boats, know, it's, it's, you know, shipping.
1: And, and look, it, it, it is all that. Like, let's not be around the No, bush but everyone's yeah.
0: always got an excuse to yeah. be able to push back
1: on you. But, I mean, yeah. the last ones I've heard is, you know, wineries ring up going, we can't take your fruit. You've got a three-year contract. We can't take your fruit. We've got nowhere to put it. We just don't need it. Now, there's a guy that, you know, and, and in this particular case, I'm doing work for him putting in another vineyard, believe it or not. And he's like, I got a phone call last week saying, we don't want all your Shiraz. So he said, you know, four years ago, that was a $300,000 sale for me. He said, you know, let's say it's an average sale of one hundred and fifty grand. i have just walked away from it. So he said, now what do I do with that? And I'm putting in a new vineyard. I've already got my posts. I've ripped it. I've bought my vines. I can't pull out from all that. So we're going to see that flow on whether you're growing grape, uh, uh, lock like vines in the nursery or whether you're selling posts or chemicals or it's, it's going to hit the region and it'll, it'll take a little bit, but it will spread I mean,
0: yeah, it's a shakeout that's coming. Do you think that's then a contraction or, you know, will the current level of plantings be maintained just under sort of different ownership?
1: Uh, I think there will be vineyards that get sold and there'll be people there. And the ones that will sell first, the ones with high overheads, high costs, you know, maybe got debt um, or larger debt and they go, well, I can't afford this. So they'll sell, but then someone might buy that vineyard and then buy it really cheap and come in with less debt. So then the next person that thinks they're all right now is the higher person with debt. So we're going to say the good vineyards will survive because they'll always get sold and, and go on, but it needs to contract. You know, the reality is is we've got too much vineyard out there. There used to be lots of wineries. They all consolidated one big winery board, another winery. And yeah. so now, and then they shut wineries down because we don't need them because what vineyards go, you know, it's like me with a grape harvester, you know, once upon a time we picked for 12 weeks you know, and you'd pick seven days a week with that one harvester. Now, you know, vintage can be seven, eight weeks. And, you know, I need three harvesters to do that same work to be able to, because the wineries go, we want all this on the same night.
0: Yeah.
1: So it really has changed. We're going to see vineyards sell. We're going to yeah. see some get pulled out. you think there's enough respect for growers from the large no. wine businesses? Nah, no, no, No at way.
3: all. No. It's tough. And I think the fact that, you know, as Brad just said, like this scenario, you know, you've got contracts, so you think you are safe. It's it's okay. I don't think the contract, unfortunately, today is worth the paper it's written on. We all need it. You know, you've got a little bit of security with it, but at the end of the day, if they can't pay you, then there's no point in giving them that grape, those grapes in the first place. So I think that's something we're going to have to negotiate and work through over the next few years. Yep. You might have a contract, but what does that mean? What are, what are your entitlements? Well, you know, what are the legalities around that? Because yeah, and well, when well,
0: push comes to shove, it's not a guarantee still. No. No, no and then, then you know, you can go and see your lawyer, but you know, the other side's got their own in-house yeah. legal department. And With you know, more
1: money.
3: Yeah. Where's
2: yeah. the way. What sticks out as something that you guys have learned from your parents in terms of how they ran things? Hard work.
3: Yeah, I just was about to say exactly the same thing. Hard work. Yeah. yeah.
1: No job. I mean, I'll go out and do any job. I mean, we've got sort of 16, or 18 people we employ in the contracting side of things. Full-time job organising and machinery. You know, we run a lot of gear and we work from, you know, Clare, Barossa, Adelaide Hills, Leon Creek, McLaren Vale. You know, we do go down the southeast as well. So we do spread our wings with contracting not everything, but some of the services we offer and we've got a really good team, you know, we've got a Vidi and everything like that, but you're not too good. You know, I can go out and staple, you know, wires the posts. you know, I can go out and knock posts, I can go out and, you know, sit on a slasher. You know, I, I think, you know, hand pruning, you know, when you've got 60 hectares to hand prune, you're not real keen, it doesn't go out there and start because <laughs> it's pretty long finish, but you're never too good for anything. So I think be prepared to, and, and it's not a bad thing to know and understand, you know, I, I started doing... I've done everything. I've done the hand pruning days. I've done, I drive the harvesters and this year I was on the harvesters with COVID. We have a heap of people out during harvest and I did probably the hardest of inches I've ever done, trying to run it, drive, all those stresses as well. But, you know, you never, you know, dad Dad still prunes today. You know, he's he's not doing just, the volume. No, yeah. Nick was just saying, he's just finished.
3: Yep. Yeah, the fact that he's 81 years of age and um, I, I cringe because I think, I hope people don't think that. We yeah. have that expectation that he's out elder, there.
0: Elder of <laughs> <youth. Yeah. laughs> hey, <you're whipping> him. <laughs> and it's
3: quite it's quite funny. Like every year he quits. But it's I think this is I think this, 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 this is the first year I think for about the last five years he hasn't quit and said, I'm never doing it again. Because every year it's a bit like childbirth, I suppose. You forget how bad it was and you know, he rocks back up and and comes out to prune each year. But you know, he, even even in harvest he rocks up and says, you know, I escort machines or, you know, oh, the hand pickers are out there, like... You know the day he says that he stops will be the day that he dies, so yeah. but then you know my mum's you know she was a teacher, but she took a little bit of a backward step, I suppose in that regard because you know she was always the one there like I don't think dad's ever made breakfast for himself in his life um you know he comes <laughs> home at lunchtime and and you know lunch is on the table, and yeah. if she did go teaching the the sandwiches were already made in the fridge, yeah, so yeah. you know she's been the backbone she um, enabled it. yeah, enabled yeah. him to you know, not have to worry about those things. Yeah, so I think, you know, their work ethic has been amazing and I think that's been really good for us to to learn from that and, and see that and, and the fact that Brad and I work in the business, like, you know, when COVID hit, I worked pretty much seven days um in Cellar Door because, you know, we weren't sure when we opened back up on that 1st that of June 2020, you know, what was it going to be like, you know, it was it was scary for my staff. So I took, you know, the... Vision that you know, I would I would work weekends, and you know, I was that meant I was supposed to have Thursday Fridays off, but that didn't happen because you know You're the never working do it week. Your own
0: business.
2: No,
3: no, the work the working week still happened, and so you know, we're not scared of hard work.
2: Is it the kind of work that you feel like you'll be in it till you die as well?
3: Hope <laughs> 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 no. Now, what I love about it is also,
1: you know, I mean, I. Sit there and look at my mum and dad and go look what they've done and and you know they use their super to buy another vineyard Um and they said we'll retire off this and then you know things are a little bit tough and you know I I, I sit there and I do believe that I mean and I probably work you know dad and I quite often have disagreements you go, oh you know what, what you know what's everyone doing we've got bloody eighteen people no one's here to come and do this for me I'm like dad they don't all sit around waiting for you to roll in going can you come and you know slash this block today for us so. It's quite interesting, but then Dad used to prune for twelve weeks straight. Now I don't know how he did that. I, I, I just that'd know. do my head in. It just couldn't do it. I need to be thinking other things.
0: So twelve weeks pruning in a pre, you know, headphones
1: yeah. era too. A lot of time to think. Oh, yeah, but and you, electric snips with the compressor running every day. It was uh, yeah. not electric um, air snips. Yeah, you know, Plus, and if you stuck your finger in there, you didn't go, oh, stop before I cut it off. It literally was gone. It was like yeah. that was it. So you still got all these fingers. Yes, he has. Yeah, he yeah. Has. yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know
3: that he's ever cut himself. Yeah,
1: Dudley cut him once. No, I don't want to do that. And and look, you know, we talk about next generation, and you know, I've got a son that's seven, and I've got a daughter that's eleven, and and they're both going. Uh, he he comes home and goes, Dad, I want to do what you do, you know, and I'm like, mate, it ain't always like this, mm. you know, and we do well with the contracting side of things, but you know, as I said, I've been doing it for twenty odd years, and I can tell you now that. I didn't take a dollar out for the first, probably 15. And, and when I say I didn't take a dollar out, yeah, we we lived and everything, but I still, I worked at home and so you just paid off machinery and, and if you're smart with it and, you know, if you always want brand new machinery, you'll never have any money. So you've got to be prepared. We've got mechanics now. And, and there's always something new and shiny to correct. catch your eye. Yeah. but it doesn't always mean it's better. Yeah. And so that's what, we're always looking at technology and, and updating, but to me it's offering service, good quality service, Having good guys. So yeah, I get my son that goes, oh, I want to come home and do that and you know, for my daughter, you know, now that's up to them. But um, even with Nicole's kids are a bit older.
3: He might have said there's no way knowing they're coming home. But at one stage the hours I work.
1: But at one stage that you know, you were like, Oh, if the kids come home and everything and I'm yeah. like, No one comes home without a trade. You know, if if yeah. if worst case scenario, get an electrician or a plumber or do something and I think
3: we need we need them to get. We've um, got a paramedic, degrees. so it helps me out. Yeah, if yeah. Go,
1: right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's that's Emma. They're still out there pruning. Yeah, day. and <laughs> Lockie sounds like he might go down the accountancy line. Which Andy, and, yeah. you know, the reality is, is it doesn't mean you get out. It might mean that you put a manager in, and if you run, if you got your, you got your shit in line, and and know what you're doing, you can have someone come and run your vineyard, and you know, pay them and they do well, and you can still have quite a good asset. No reason why your kids can't come home later if that's what they want to do, but I'm not thinking my kids are coming home. With the kids,
3: yeah, you know, they may be able to go off and get their degrees or trades or what have you, And, and if they can benefit the business in some way, shape or form, you know, that's great. So they don't have to necessarily work in the business, but they can have support roles or I've had... Lockie's worked in the cellar door as one of my dish bitches. Tom helps pop with, you know, getting wine and, and making sure the, the the cellar door's fully stocked. So, you know, they've had a few little roles, yeah, over the years in helping out. So, um, yeah.
0: What's the hardest thing about getting sort of succession planning in family businesses right? You yeah. know yeah, you see a lot of people that don't make it.
3: I think from my parents' perspective, they were always worried that they were going to upset one of us because I think they're, their their forward planning was Brad took over the business and I was off on my little white horse somewhere. So I think um when it got to that point.
1: Which he was, by the way.
3: <laughs> yeah, I did. I did <laughs> run away for a little while. A little while and then I just was gravitated back. And um, Craig has that bit of a draw sometimes. So yeah, so I think, and especially when, you know, when you've got a young family and what have you, but I think their biggest fear was, you know. There was this expectation that Brad was going to inherit the vineyard and and then I came home and then, you know, the vineyard was not big enough to support three families. So, you know, we went into debt. We, we purchased more vineyards. So the fact that, you know, my husband and I could be involved, mind you, he's kept his day job because, you know, we've needed to do that. It's not, it hasn't, trust me, it's not mm-hmm. lucrative, um, you know, when you've got your own business. You know, both Brad and I take minimal out of the business. You know, we still support our parents you know, day to day Mm. um, as well. So we've needed this outside income. You know, Brad's got his contracting business. I remember it quite vividly because I was saying to Brad, you know, like we're being screwed over by the banks with interest rates and after vintage we need to go and see them and, you know, see, you know, what we can do because, you know, what we were paying was ridiculous. But when you've got 70-year-olds, you know, in charge of a business, you could see where the banks were coming from. So Brad goes, right, what do we need to do? And I said, "Well, I think we need to sort out how we're going forward and how we're going to do this." So I think for the next three hours, we sat there, and Brad said, "Well, it's not going to work if we do it this way, and it's not going to work if we do it that way, and you know, this just makes sense." And
1: mum and mum yeah. and dad had it. How, how Kim Bolton was is <clears throat> the original twenty hectare homestead property where the, the original vineyard was was left to me, and that was, and and along the way, that was always, you know, I think when you know you got things going, oh well. Our daughter's gone and remarried, so we'll help her with this. And, and that was probably when there was a bit of money around in the 90s. And it was always, oh, yeah, you come home. And, and I can see, I see both sides of it, that, you know, if I went home and earned 30 grand a year and just worked on a family property and then, you know, you've got an opportunity, like the, the, the siblings go out and, and we see it in places where they go out and have a job and, and do really well and make money and then go, oh, I still want half the property. Correct. Yeah. How one's grown it. So we bought the second property and effectively the conversation was, and mum, we didn't, mum and dad didn't know about this. We sat down and, you know, I'm smart enough to go, well, if I kept Kim Bolton and Nicole and I both had what we call our Montrose block, I own all the machinery effectively because I contract with it. We sold off the Kim Bolton tractors and, use that sort of strategically for what we needed. So I'm like, well, I could run the property, charge Nicole half to run Montrose. Montrose had the debt because that was the latest property we bought. Kim Bolton was debt-free if you look at properties. So all of a sudden, Nicole's got to pay half the debt as I do. I'm running it, so I'm making money off running it. It was never going to work. And, you know, I couldn't do what we're doing. Like, you know, I'm not interested in sitting there working out what wet tax we're going to pay and yeah. and all those sorts of things. So Nicole had had... I suppose you know she does the the bookwork side of things which doesn't interest me my wife you know i said that i didn't want her to come involved in the business and that's just us that's the life that is i mean she's involved in the the contracting side of things and does all the bookwork, everything but you know she was a physio so we decided at the time yeah and so nicole did that and the only way it was going to work is to go we just go 50 50 and everything so we went to mum and dad and said the only way this is going to work with, you know, you've got it as in this is mine and that's ours. Well, it's all ours, you know, and a lot of the wines come off that original block for our label. So it was just, and I said, it's not going to work. And then if Nicole turned around and said, well, stuffy, I'm out, uh, you're going to buy me out. And I go, well, you know, what do you want? Oh, you want a million bucks. Now I'm going to go into a million dollars worth of debt and you lose your best asset, who is yeah. someone that's actually in the business that cares about. You're not worried about your <laughs> and... A hundred grand that. a year at the back door that you don't know about. Yeah. So you had to have that foresight to see what would happen if you went down yeah. that road before yeah. you did. Well, it's a great saying. It's, you know, and I've always said this, you know, there's no point sitting up on the, up the, front, end of the front end of the plane on your own. You know, I'd prefer to sit yeah. out in the back with my mates. I mean, I'd prefer to sit up the front with my mates, to be honest. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but the reality is, is, it's... Or on your own plane. <laughs> yeah, or, or, yeah that's, uh, But I think, you know, if you don't see that, and sometimes you're better off having 50% of something that's great than having nothing of anything you know and, and and that's i i believe with the industry was is if nicole had sort of checked out and said oh will just pay me out and you have it yourself i'd have a life of misery you know i work hard enough as it is i miss out on so much as it is you know with what we do and so i think you know this is something that you know and and it's oh, i can go away and nicole's looking after all the cellar door side like we've got a Viddy, she can go away and she knows that everything's okay as well like we've you know we have the foresight to get right people in place. Yeah, it costs us money, but you know that's what we've worked but out. You complement each other, and if you wor- yes.
2: both weren't working in it, it wouldn't be what it is.
3: No, correct. correct. And I, and I cross over during vintage, so I um, help Brad manage his day to day harvest operations. I think I quit every year, don't I? Yeah, um, <laughs> twice. <laughs> twice, yeah, once th- in the middle, and once at the end, because you know it's that's you know you, you're managing thirty guys and you know, nine or ten machines and, you know. have spread,
0: spread far and wide. Yeah, uh,
3: you know, across regions you've got wineries that want to, you know, you can't sort of say, oh, yeah, mate, I'll get back to you in three days' time. It's, you you're on call 24-7. Mm. So, yeah, but it works. It really does work. Um, and But I think the fact that we had the foresight, you know, and we stripped everything back, we w- looked at what, you know, each of us could bring to the business and, and what it is we can do and, you know, And we wouldn't be as good as what we are without our staff. Our staff are phenomenal. We employ good people. But then I I hope to think that they can see the value in what, you know, we we give them as employers too, you know, with flexibility. And and we like to look after them. We think that they're family. But, yeah, and I I do remember going to mum and dad saying, you know, Brad and I've sat down. This is where it's at. You know, I just want to make sure you're happy. And the relief on their, their faces, they said, oh, thank God, you know, like we just, we just. They just couldn't see their way out of it. Like our accountant had, had spoken to them on numerous occasions to try and come up with a a plan and a, and assist, and they they just didn't want to disappoint it, either of us.
1: Did they share that with you that they'd been stressing out about oh, yeah. that for a long yeah. time? Mum burst into tears.
3: Yeah, yeah, because
1: they're like, oh, you know, we've got debt, and we're like, you know, they've given us such a look. Like, you know, in in reality, I look at it, and Grandpa founded it, or not founded it, but Nana and Grandpa bought uh, the property off because Nana's brother owned where we are now, the Kim Bolton that was part of Bleasdale and he was killed at war and so they the, the his widow was expected to sort of here it is and ride off into the sunset and she said, No, it didn't work like that. And then grandpa was working at Bleasdale and, and um in the spirits side of things and um yeah. Nana said, um, you know, maybe we we could you know they were together and said, let's buy it, you know, buy it. So they bought it and, you know, it was a dairy and had some undesirable, you know, grapes on it. And we used to have Chester Osborne driving around in his blue Porsche back in the days, you know, buying grapes. <laughs> typically typically yeah, low-key. Yeah yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, wouldn't have known it was Chester. But I mean, that was, you know, what grandpa bought. He, he gave the foundation. Dad grew it. You know, I think it was only about 12 hectares of vineyard. And I still remember him come home one day and he said, oh God, I've just bought the two blocks at the end of the road. I paid $11,000 for them. Oh my God. And he was <laughs> like writing this check out. And, and I think I was 10 or 11 and he was nervous as, and he was, oh, you know, geez, what am I going to do? And... Anyway, we planted rockmelons and watermelons on it for 12 months. And I think we paid for it just about, you know, like mm-hmm. we mucking around with that as kids. And, and, you know, it's one of our best blocks on the property and grows some of our best fruit. And, you know, that was just how he stressed, you know. So, you know, then we went and bought a property for, you know, one and a half million bucks many years later. And we had another property which we sold off, had vines on it because we we're a shareholder in that and bought this one, you know, outright ourselves. So we had more control. And so, Dave... You know, Grandpa bought it, Dad's grown it, now it's up to us. And I feel like we are, you know, yes, I've put in some alternate varieties and, and um, you know, we did that at the toughest time when no one wanted Chardonnay. We, You know, everyone just went, don't want Chardonnay. And, you know, when you've got 20% of your vineyard Chardonnay, you're like, well, what are we going to do here? And and that was when I said, oh, let's put some Monty in. So we did a block, a little block, and, you know, that was all. We did that ourselves, you know, we had to re-knock it. <clears throat> and, and, I
0: mean, that process of then going, okay, I want to, you know, Change the varietal mix in the vineyard or whatever. It's not as simple as going. Oh, you know, I've got an idea. I mean, how does that whole process work? What do you? How do you identify what you think is going to work? No, I think no. the process
1: was pretty simple actually. I think it was what you said. It, not. I just went. I reckon we should put Monty in, and I couldn't we, yeah. say
3: it. I was like, what? What? Are you, what? Are you, what are you doing? Like, what is this stuff? Like,
1: <laughs> no, that was that was. And we put in a. We put in point two of a hectare. You know, and we put in a point one five of in. Yeah. You uh, so, didn't well, it good right. We're not <laughs> <talking> about <laughs> We're not about Z. So I mean, we did that, and I know you look at it, and I'm like, "We've got all this chardonnay. What are we going to do?" And and I mean, the my, my reckoning is, is if you're not doing something, you you got to chat you know. So we were going, and look, there's people there that didn't do anything. They said, "We'll just mothball the chardonnay. We'll grow up for a few years." Everyone's saying, "Oh, chardonnay's back," but you're still only getting your six, seven, eight hundred bucks a ton. It's it's hard to make money at that.
0: Yeah. Whereas and you it's know, back at a certain level in a certain yeah. kind of Chardonnay from a certain place. Yeah, correct. Necessarily... From Lang- We're talking
1: Langon Creek, <laughs> yeah. I suppose, here. Whereas, you know, I look at it and go, we put in Monty, I thought it would work, tasted a few, then went off. And it was Justin Lane, he was from Half and Dice mm-hmm. and he was really passionate. So we did, you know, one and a half hectares. And, I mean, it, uh, uh, it was a bit of a, I mean, whilst by the time I'm expressing my thoughts, I've normally thought about it a fair bit. Yeah. You know, I'm one of those people that I look at every... And then and, and then I come out with it. it rather out. than look like an idiot that came up with this silly idea, I'd firm myself to work that out. So, and, and that's what we did. We came up with Monty and then it was like, I'll oh, we'll make our own wine. Actually, the bloke that bought him the first year couldn't pass for him. So then I took some wine off him and then we sold it. And that was when Halliday sort of talked about it and said, you know, this is a great wine. And, and I went, oh, look, you know, what I thought... You got one of Australia's best critics, sort of back in the time. Um, this going back about 2012, 12, 11, yeah. and you went, "Wow, not many people knew about it." And look, we do grow a lot of it, and we sell it to a lot of little guys. Geez, it's fun, you know, yeah. going out and picking, you know, 100 tons of sharan selling it off to one of the big corporates. You know, you can uh, you can uh, ask yourself, what do you enjoy better? You know, we hand pick it, we hand prune it, we lift it, shoot thin it, all these different bits and pieces. And geez, you know, when it sits there in a half ton bin and, you know, you you've handpicked it, come from some of the owns harvesters, you know, it's it's pretty enjoyable. That's the passion yeah, yeah. about it. That's 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 and it's the relationship. It's you know, it was when Lano and I, and, and I think you were there that time and I said to Lano, oh well I said to Lano one day, what do you think of sparkly Monty? He's like, <laughs> Nah, 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 don't and I went, oh, okay. And then he rings me up about three hours later and goes, I have been thinking about this, son, uh, you know. I think it actually I said, Oh, it's just a bit more savory, you know. Shiraz, quite sweet and sickly. Look at these old Shiraz, they become more savory. That was my thoughts, yep. like the old leasinghams and yeah, which was yep. stunning. Old, old Fizz, red fizz. And anyway, so we over we went and you bought the soda stream, I think, and we thought, yep. oh, this is easy, put wine in there and, <laughs> put it back and and Jesus, it just blew up. And I think in the end we did a 700ml bottle, and I think we had about 50 ml in the bottom of it. Everything wrecked. I think it wrecked his top or blue. No, the No, we did it in your... my
3: kitchen first. Oh, was it? And then, anyway, and then it just... we took it over to the winery because I, like, yeah. <laughs> don't,
0: don't destroy the kitchen. The anyway, kitchen, yeah. And, and that's it's how good. that came and yeah, about. Lano loses a Slayer
1: T-shirt. That's just, you know, yeah. he's, he's got 50 <laughs> others anyway. No, he still wears it out, mate. You know, it just looks like he'd been in the mosh pit longer than he should have been. But, <laughs> but, you know, I still, to this day, you know, Lano's a great guy and a character and, you know, things didn't quite work out with his luck. But, you know, that label, I still see him in every time I see it. We still supply fruit to him. And even with what we're doing, you know, Lionel was just such a passionate, and he still is. But yeah, I mean, that's that's just it another was, person you meet on the way, and, and he gave us the confidence to Well, he was a more. believer. Yeah, yeah.
3: A believer, this is the way to go. So the next
0: stage of that story is, do you try and find what's the next Monty, or do you just try and
1: revol- yeah, evolve and refine? Well, then we did Fiano. Yeah. You know, I went, let's do Fiano, and we did, once again, I just, I like Fiano. Yeah, I think if you love something, you're, you're going to be passionate about it, you're going to push it, and that you know, it was something for me. We still, we still got a lot of Cabernet and Shira, which I think are backbones of the vineyard. Yeah. Whilst we might have some tough times coming up with them. You know, I've got people lining up for Fiano, for Monty. We've done some Carrigan. I only yeah. put a small amount in. Would I go? And that's taken a little bit more to take off. But once again, if I had fifty ton of Carrigan, it might be forty ton too much. So, and and you know, with the contracting side of things, even this year, a lot of people have. Oh, Fiano, Fiano, Fiano. So once we get to a point where Fiano is in a better balance, we're going to see, oh, we'll need the price to come down. You're so, going to
3: need more carignan, though. Now that the new rosé spritz is just about to be launched, oh, I'm thinking go. that's, that's going to really little, take good. off. It's <laughs> all about the rosé spritz. Um, but
0: how, how does working, you know, across regions, I mean, how does that spark inspiration? You know, where, what are you seeing when you're working in other places that,
1: The best thing about that is, is I see what other people would, you know, you're always learning, you know, it's great that you get to see, geez, I've never seen that done this way. And, and, um, you know, even layering techniques and pruning techniques that you just go, geez, I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. To the point that, yeah, you start bringing some of that stuff home and dad's like, we've never done it like that. What the hell are you doing? And I'm like, dad, you don't get to see what I, so it is interesting and even varieties like we're about to put in what started three years ago when we, Yep, we're, we're putting in six hectares and it was Shirah. Then we, we've got all these new clonal, sort of old, old new clone, old clone stuff, which, you know, are proving to be some really good Shirah, which I've got off mates that own some pretty great vineyards. And, you know, then we went, no, nah, we don't need more Shira That's only going to, yeah, we had a contract for it for eight years. Yeah. I'm like, that's only going to bring more pain to the industry. So we swapped and changed and looked at it. So we're doing Fiano and Pinot. You might go Pinot, Lowen Creek. Um, Pinot's is an interesting one because I think it's fast becoming more and more popular. Everyone's palate changes, they get a bit older, people like drinking sort of not as heavy wine sometimes, you know, with the way we're sort of having more long lunches and all these things. So Pinot in, in Tassie's gone through the roof price-wise and Yarra and all these regions and even the hills, you know, is now pushing three or more thousand bucks a tonne for dry. So I think they still need an entry point Pinot from somewhere. So we've done, and we're doing some of the new clients, 667. We're doing Able. Uh, ABLE and 777. 667's out of New Zealand. You'd know that, Nick. Yeah. But And and point of difference, you know, you can grow it for sparkling, you can use it for rosé if you have a tough, wet ear. So that's, we're experimenting with that. I mean, not experimenting. It's not like we're out of the, I mean, I'd love to get some Assertico. So Peter Barry, if you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> hey give, us a, give us a call. Driving <laughs> in the car somewhere, yeah.
3: I, hold think, your I think one of the things that I see with Brad and, you know, working across the regions is the relationships too. It's, you know, yeah, meeting different people and, you know, being ha- having those connections.
0: Yeah. How that- can the industry sort of facilitate that for people who don't have, you know, cross regional, you know, contracting businesses? Is there enough sharing of knowledge. I,
1: th- I, th- I think that it's out there for people to do it. It's just people don't. It's hard to try and tell. I mean, I, if you sat and said, Dad's still running his vineyard or pine," some young... F-, my 80-year-old dad's not going to drive up to the Barossa and do a go wine a tasting. Seminar. He's just not interested. Yeah. Oh, I mean, And, and, and it, as you get older, I mean, I've got younger kids, and you know, now on a Saturday, you know, I used to go, what what wine tasting's on? I used to go to all the wine tastings, you know, geez, Eastern Cellar's got this one, port tasting, and then you'd buy some and it... I ain't got time for that now. I've got go to go I go from netball to footy. You know, if you want to do something yourself and you've got a social life. And so I think it gets, as, as you get older and you have kids, it, it does get harder mm. to um, do that. And, and I suppose even with what we do, like sometimes I'll be worried something, oh, you know, I've got got this, you know, block of, you know, let's say it's Matara, I can't get rid of it. And I'll go, you know, three weeks later, someone might say to me, oh, do you know anyone with Matara? Hang on, yep, bang. And, you know, even to the point that I've, I've had guys ring up and go, Can you pick, you know, David Blows one day in the Adelaide Hills, who we picked four, said, Oh, Brad, when you're up here, after you pick the Shirah, can you pick the last? We've got about 10 or 11 tonnes of temp. And this is going back five, six years ago. And so I made one phone call and rang up uh, Mike Carmelo and said, Mike, you still interested in some temp? He goes, Yeah, what do you got? I said, Mate, here's David's number, ring, ring, bang. And he still supplies him yeah. temp to this day for that label. And, and I just, I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't take anything from it. To me, that's just someone that helps pay my bills here, and mm. someone that <laughs> buys fruit off me. If and and that's relationship. That's mm. when I ring them up and say, "Hey, can you help me out here?" Or this people do, and I mean that's fortunate. But also, I look at it and go, "I've done a lot for people without putting my hand out." Whereas most people are going, "Oh, what, what do I get out of it?" So-
3: I don't know what you do though to facilitate that. Like it's you know it's it's opening up communications. I think sometimes you know it's hard for growers to come out and say that they've got this fruit that's uncontracted or I don't know what the way is going forward to help with that. The industry at the moment, though,
1: I mean, the the industry's been pretty good and and there's more people than ever, especially in Lown Creek where, you know, it's not the Barossa where you've been selling to the same person forever and a day and they've gone. So, you know, a lot more people are just off the bat ringing up people and ringing around and... With, with what we're going to come up with, with, with China being an issue and, and there's going to be wineries that don't have the space to store wine, so what do they do? I mean, does that mean that if we've got no storage, it's sort of like, you know, I look at it and go, as a wine, if you've got no storage because you've got three-year-old wine sitting in tank, get rid of the three-year-old wine. Mm. Pour it on the ground. That, that's You've got to look at your business thing and, and if you've got to buy their grapes. Now, I don't know whether they can come to an agreement that don't grow them and we'll pay you a certain amount. I don't know, but, Whereas if you're a, you know, if I rang up a winery and said, I don't have enough water to, to grow my grapes this year and you want my grapes, they go, mate, that's not our problem. No. You know, and you've got to go and buy more water to survive. So that's where the industry, and, and it's unfortunate because it's not like, you know, back in 2004 when they released the 2025 report, and so said this is where we need to be in 25 years and we were there in five, and then we're in oversupply. It's not, yeah, that, as growers, we got it wrong. As an industry, we got it wrong. It, at the moment, What's affecting us is a political shitstorm. Now, yeah, I'm no not into politics, saw, which no not one, one grower had a, a, his fault. Yeah, as an industry, we put a lot of eggs into one basket. But, you know, you can argue that if you're getting paid good money to do your job, and maybe more than you should be, but you're doing a good job, you you don't go, oh, I shouldn't do that. You know, most people run. When they go on a good thing, they like to keep doing it. Yeah. Um. Now, has the government helped us out? I'm not saying they sh- you know, should, but you know it's tough um you could say oh well, let's let's get rid of the wet tax now you know to help out for a period of time now will that help the wine industry it's not going to help the grower that doesn't sell booze but maybe it means that a big corporate might buy their fruit instead of not buying their fruit and it saves them a little bit and i mean when we're talking on the pressures now the uh, i think the new tax is coming in this new trade agreement goes in in the uk and they're going to tax on alcohol, so all of a sudden these 14% alcohol Shiraz from Australia are going to put... Yeah. We're losing one tax, but it's going to actually going to add another. the value. So, mm. you know, can we fudge that for the time being? It, it just feels like, you know, not saying we should get handouts, but it feels like the problems we're facing at the moment is totally out of the control of 90% of the people that it's affecting the most. Yep. And that's the sad thing, because we're going to see people go broke, we're going to see people sell vineyards, and... You can say, "Oh, well, look, he grows poor fruit and big tons." But if he's got a ten-year contract, he's actually still going to be doing that. Yep. It's the poor bloke that might have done the right thing his whole life that's just on the wrong time of coming out of contract. And that's that's I always see that as the tough side of the industry. And the reality is, is if they go, "We only need a thousand tons, and we get the thousand off him, and you grow a they're not going to take you a hundred unless it's yeah, 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 special, real special. That's that's the real big issues, you know. And we're faced with, you know fuel pricing and that that's grower. I mean as a contractor, you know, we got asked, you're gonna put a fuel levy on, you're gonna put this up, you're gonna put that up. I'm like, well who who does that on the bottom end for grapes? You know? And if yeah. I'm making extra money and these guys are going broke, they're not around. I'm not gonna make the money. Customers are gone. So we just came to the conclusion we'll sort of meet halfway, you know, cover a little bit. I mean for us, you know, that, that fuel levy was costing us Probably in vicinity of one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand bucks a year for yeah. no fault of ours and and no fault of our growers. So we're not you know wages is a thing you know that goes up and I've got no problem with those sorts of costs. But you know from twelve months ago to now, a lot of our spare parts have probably risen twenty five percent. Wages are going up about ten you know across the board with everything and fuel. So you know going up five bucks an hour is not covering much yeah, at yeah. all. Um, and I consider myself lucky compared to growers who. Their costs are going up. They've got to do sustainability, and and um, you know these all these things. Like, oh, you know you need to do the sustainability thing for, for some of the big corporates, and then but we're going to drop your price 200 bucks a ton this year. Pretty tough. Very tough. And a lot of these growers don't talk about it. They won't talk about it because they're too proud to talk about it. There's so much to think
2: about. There. Does it feel like work just becomes your whole life, or are you able to get some sort of separation from it?
3: Yeah, it does consume us most, like yeah, a fair bit of our time. Like we do try and have the odd catch up um, where we try and not talk about work. When you do work like we do and as closely as we do, you tend to end up talking about work anyway, yeah. don't you? Yeah. <laughs> at some, at well, it's some interesting because
1: you know you, I mean you, we're in a wine industry, so you go right, we're not going to talk about work, and then you go let's catch up bottom. for dinner. What wine you bring? What you Remember when we built that? <laughs> yeah, and we bought yeah, yeah. that. And, yeah. Jeez, that was a good year, wasn't it? And you talk, remember, that was the year we went over and we did that job. And because it's it, connected to everything yeah, it's, in life, it is, yeah,
3: yeah. it's life, it's life. We live it, we breathe it. Yeah. So, what do you do to
2: recharge, though? Um, to recharge.
3: Drink. My recharge drink here. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> Open I didn't of think wine. I should say that. I have another bottle of wine. Um we both like to get away sort of July, August each year. So Brad goes in one direction with his family. I go in a he completely tends to completely opposite direction. <laughs> he tends to go to the snow. Um, and we tend to, to head somewhere warm. So yeah, we generally try and take a, a couple of months off. Um oh sorry, a couple of months, couple of weeks off. Um, each year that's sort of it at the moment um, I'm a big believer in you know now's the time to work hard I suppose and yeah hopefully we'll reap those rewards you know down the track so Brad's a runner so he likes to hit the pavement for me I like to yeah spend some time by some sort of water an ocean somewhere somewhere warm yeah with a nice sparkling in hand Mm.
2: sounds better than running to me yeah. <laughs> How do you guys feel about what you've managed to achieve since you took over?
3: Yeah, I don't know. It's there's days where I wake up and think, oh, you know, I could be doing so much more, or you know, what else is there that I can do? The last the last three years have been pretty challenging, obviously with with COVID um, and you know running of the cellar door and you know ha- having to pivot every. Every time you think you're sort of under control and you've got a handle on things, something else happens, there's a new restriction or there's, you know, another border closed or what have you. But I think we're starting to see what the, the new normal new normal is. You know, I just completed a a 10,000-word submission for the Tourism Awards and I remember sitting there the last night going back over it and going, wow, what we're doing is pretty awesome. Like, you know, but, you know, it takes takes yourself to stop and sit down and actually read it. Because when you're living it every day, yeah, you're not yeah, thinking about like that. Yeah, you're always questioning what you're doing, you know, um, you know is there something else I could be doing or, yeah. But um, no, I think, I think we're in a, a, a good place.
1: On the flip side, you know, we're producing a sparkly Monty traditional method. No one has ever done it before in the world, unless some obscure little Italian fella has been hiding it away. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, that's something that you go, you know, if no one else ever does one, which I think someone else is now, but, it's just different, you know, and and with guys like Nick, who are wine writers, you know, he might come up to me and go, "Mate, oh, I tried that sparkling wine. That is absolute rubbish." But at least it's, no. he's talking about it. He's <laughs> talking about it. You he's know, talking like it it's, up. It's, I did 150
0: it <laughs> <laughs> people at a wine cellar, like, yes. selling everyone how good it was. No, but that's, that's what I'm
1: saying. Yeah. It's, it's it's best sparkling wine in the country. Yeah. <laughs> but if you but if you're talking about it, isn't that good? No such yeah.
0: thing as bad publicity.
2: And no. and
1: so you know we're doing that. We have got Fiano, you know. A few more people are doing a bit more Fiano now. We're out to do these new clones of Pinot and Lown Creek, which people go, geez, you know, that's... But it's doing those sorts of things. We're embracing trying to get Malbec to grow better. It's a bit of a challenge, so we're putting in irrigation. We're not the first. I'm not putting my hand up to say we're the first to do that, but, you know, we're doing things like that. You know, in our cellar door, we've got, you know, a sparkling spritz, whatever it is, in a can, <laughs> you know. <laughs> wow. You know, um, we're it. always looking
3: at ways to improve, I suppose. We don't just sit still. We don't ever think we've got to status quo and, and we're happy where things are happening. We're, we're always looking for that Well, that's next probably thing. something that's yeah.
2: really key to survival, yeah.
0: isn't it? If yeah. it? your own business, you know, if we made you two, you know, the chair and CEO of all grape growing and viticulture and, you know, vineyard businesses in the country and said here's a blank checkbook to invest in research and development, what would you be doing to on a broad practical scale to improve viticulture in this country?
3: I'm a big believer in regionality. However, Brad has just said we are planting Pinot in Lincoln Creek <laughs> and, and we'll see see where that's at. I understand his reasoning and you know with everything else that he's done and his foresight I'm happy to roll with that. But I'm a big believer in regionality and I think one of the things is we have a lot of varieties planted in a lot of regions that probably shouldn't be there. So for me
0: You'd start ripping some stuff out. Yeah,
3: I would or 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 change or you know, changing but you know, retopping. Yeah, retopping them and and what have you because at the end of the day, if something shouldn't be grown in a region and you know, you know what it's like. Yeah. I'm um, saying
1: that there is some great sites in you know that produce some crazy good wines because it's a, a unique parcel. Yeah. Um
0: but you know, no, and so there are always wine. exceptions.
1: Yeah. But why are we growing Pinot on Loud Creek? If you can't get it for under three grand a ton in the Adelaide Hills, then there's still people that need to make, you know, there's people out there that want to buy a $15 bottle of Pinot and smash it and, yep. and cheap fizz. And, you know, we don't all have the money that Nick has to drink, you know, Krug and all <laughs> yeah, these yeah. sorts of things. Um, <laughs> I wish. The reality is, is I'm just, I mean, and people might go, why? I guarantee it'll work. No, I, I really, yeah, yeah. I'm not doing it. You know, I'm doing it. And uh, you know what? It just puts something else in there. And then if I've got a Hills company that comes to me and says, Brad, I want to grow, buy some of that Pinot for Sparkle or this, I go, right, out. but you have to take some Charade. And, and it just opens up. I mean, we probably sell to 25, 30 different wineries, and we're 60 hectares. Yep. Um, it we shows do. you we're happy to sell bits and pieces, pieces to little guys. And, you know, they're all very passionate, so that's a relationship thing. And, yeah, I, I said, you've just... I, I didn't just go off a whim. I'm not going and putting Mataro in because I don't think that's for us, you know, in the Barossa. I'm not putting Grenache. I mean, everyone's talking Grenache, you know, and Grenache is getting some good bucks. But if you put it into a $20 rosé, the numbers aren't going to work yeah. long term. And, and, and McLaren Vale and Barossa do great Grenache. We had Grenache once and it's, it's okay.
0: How well, Yeah, with those people that you're selling to, how closely do you follow you know those wines and where your fruit goes and you're seeing what? those end users are, are doing with
1: it. Well, definitely. Like we, I mean, I've always sat there and said when I started doing the Monty, we should get everyone together. And it just got hard and trying to get, but, but I'd love to go, right, everyone, you know, we have our annual Monty lunch and you bring in the one from 2018 and yep. and you all take, and maybe the current year. Um, we have a few guys that drop off, you know, a few guys, oh, geez, I'm starting to struggle to sell my Monty, you know, I'm going to wait a year um, or if something's happened in there, you know, they don't yep. have a sell or anything. So it does... Go up and down, but you know we, we all know what wine it's going into. We we did sell it to Treasury for three years, and they didn't bottle it. It was going to go into the Rosemount Nursery series, and it sat there and it sat there. And in the end, I said, I don't want to sell it to you anymore because you're not, you actually aren't doing anything good for the variety, for the Case family, or for Langon Creek because you're not. It's not in bottle. Oh yeah, but we're gonna. They're just trying to work on a market. I said. No. So we we sold it elsewhere, and we actually sold it to. Into into, It's still Treasury. I got it into Pennies one year and said, you know, got one of their winemakers to have a look at when they were down. They're like, this is pretty amazing. Got it in there. They were really at high hopes for for a seller reserve range. It ended up going back to Rosemount because we didn't supply them enough. (laughs) That's another story. But but, but it shows you what, and, and I got my knuckles wrapped over that. Yeah. to be honest. Um, and so I gave do up things? my
3: Monty. Kim Bolton lost their Monty because I couldn't take Very it from, from the Rosemount. Well, because I, I yeah. wanted
1: to go and put it in there and get the one thing about certain labels, you know. They can push Well, they basically yeah. said, said there's a Penfold, Montepulciano, seller reserve, 70 bucks. And they and they generally say, is yes, Monty, you would have come from Lownd Creek and the Case yep. family. Jeez, that's, that's, that ticks all the boxes on what I'm doing stuff for. Yeah, yeah, But it didn't happen. Anyway, and as I said, but now we've got all these little guys, you know, from... You know, A, B, and D, but, you know, um, Charlotte Dalton now takes it. Um, you know, Lady Gardens taking stuff, Five Acre Wines. Steve Panel yep. takes a fair bit. Steve's a, you know, I've got a lot of time for and Steve. That's what he's doing.
3: And if you see on Creek Montepulciano, it has come from the Case family. yeah. yeah. So there is no one at the moment that's,
1: what, Monty? Oh sorry, one person. I yeah. I tell them it's too risky and you know, you're t- t- tra- <laughs> <little laughs> <sex laughs> tra- Oh, we're not into that stuff. If you want some zin cuttings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, ironically that's now Monty. It's cabinet to zin, cut off Monty. Yeah. So yeah. All
2: right, we've got uh, three questions that we're asking all our guests to end on. So who makes your favourite wine in SA other than you?
1: Is it the greatest one of the greatest wines I've ever drunk? Was the Jim Barry O2 Amar, which, yep. but I don't drink that every year because it's quite an expensive wine. But you know, it's sort of funny how, you know, because I I prefer champagne. You know, um, but if it was going to be one wine from South Australia, Pikes Riesling's just a, you know, you can't go past a Pikes traditional Riesling. Just smashable, affordable. Nothing ever stops you from wanting one. you can find it in every Chinese restaurant
3: between yeah. here and <laughs> yeah. the number
0: of The number of times I've been saved in a country town Chinese restaurant by the yeah, Pikes, brother brother Pike's yep. Trad. What about you, Nick?
3: Um, I'm a shardy lover, so I'd have to go the Binet range. Ooh, someone's getting paid more than me. Yeah, I go to say. You're not your $18
0: You're $150 get, no,
3: And ask me where I get it from. Out of Brad's cellar. I can't afford it. I always invite him to dinner <laughs> okay. and tell him to bring the wine. I'm
0: disappointed neither of you said, hey, diddle.
3: Oh, there you go. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Brad. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: next one, red or white?
3: Both. Yeah, I can't I can't spit them. Sorry. Spritz out of a candle, sounds it? Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Classy. Uh, <laughs> at, a ra-
1: at a rave. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> and uh, what makes the SA wine industry unlike any other?
3: Relationships, collaboration. That would be my, my thoughts.
1: Diversity. I mean, we've got from even if you said Claire to Langong Creeks, 150 odd K. Yep. And you go Riesling, Certico. You're listening to me there, yeah, now. yeah, you're yeah, really plugging. <laughs> you. Come on, Peter. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying. Yeah, go great Riesling. So nice. You can go to Eden um, Valley right. Riesling. You've got Shiraz in all these regions. You've got Sav Blanc, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, Pinot, Grenache. 150 kilometres, and you can land in the middle of Adelaide and go. I like this particular grape variety. You're there within two hours, and, and I think that's pretty unique. And and also the diversity of those styles as well from region to region. So, yeah, I'd like to sit there and think that come to SA, you pretty much, you know, you can get anything you really need. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Head to the
0: Wine Grape Council of South Australia website for links and further resources. This is part of a bigger conversation, so feel free to share this podcast with your mates and look after yourselves. Cheers.